Well, it may fall just behind opening day and Game 7 of the World Series, but there's no question trade deadline day is one of the most exciting days of the season for baseball fans. This year, between the uncertainty caused by COVID-19 and the expanded playoff format, I don't know if anyone knew quite what to expect. You're going to see a lot of really tentative general managers because how do you define value in this reset baseball world? But it certainly had its moments. Well, this was uh, a few moments ago, Jonathan VR and Don Mattingly talking. VR is going to the Blue Jays. Lots of moves were made. The latest moves, there are a plenty. The Padres have acquired Mitch Moreland from the Red Sox for a pair of prospects. The Rays have dealt Jose Martinez to the Cubs for two players to be named later. The Indians give up three players. They get six players in return. A lot of them are prospects. And we are now ready for the stretch run. So who were the winners and losers? Let's find out. I'm Dan Schulman, and this is A Swing and a Belt. J.P. Morosi is one of the most versatile baseball reporters around. You see him on MLB Network. You read his work on MLB.com. You hear him on MLB Network Radio. And if you're in Canada, you're very familiar with him for his contributions to Sportsnet 590, The Fan, the flagship station of the Blue Jays Radio Network. And you also see him on Sportsnet from time to time on Blue Jays Central. Now, his favorite sports, I believe, are actually hockey and soccer, but since he makes his living covering baseball, and this is a baseball podcast, and you know it is trade deadline time and all that, we thought that we would actually talk some baseball with him. So, JP, thanks for joining me at a very busy time. How you doing? Well, doing great, Dan, and you are far too kind, my friend, for that introduction. It's just it's great to be able to talk baseball with you and to be on the air in, in Canada. As I said before, I, I miss you so much. I miss everybody in Canada so much. It's been a big part of my career in my life of growing up in Michigan and being so close. So hopefully uh, the year ahead brings more travels to Canada for me. I hope so. Are you still taking in Hockey Night in Canada whenever you can from Detroit? Absolutely. Of course, uh, it's kind of how I grew up on, on hockey. I was watching it on CBC and, and uh, my Parents the same way. It's like we were very lucky. I've, I spent many a late Saturday night in, in January, February watching Scott Oak and after hours in the middle of the night. Probably not. It's tough now for me, maybe not quite as often now that I've got kids that wake me up at seven in the morning. Right. But anytime that I can stay up there as late as I can on Saturday, I'm, I'm, I'm watching Scott doing those great interviews there from Edmonton or Calgary or wherever he might be there on a Saturday night. Well, nothing will endear you to Canadians like saying you watch Hockey Night in Canada, but you know, you know that already. So um, let's talk about this trade deadline because I think a lot of people wondered how much action there would be in this year. Would teams really be going for it in what some have called a fluky year? Would there be hesitation in case the season was going to be shut down? You don't want to give anything up to get guys who will help you. Big picture, what did you think of the trade deadline as a whole? Well, Dan, I, this is a, a sentence we rarely speak in 2020. It felt normal. Uh-huh. It felt normal. It really did. It felt like a normal trade deadline. Uh, the Clevin blockbuster certainly is its own category and its own show, probably, which was amazing just to see. But it, it really did feel normal, which I think is a credit to the industry. I think it was really important, sort of a subtle change early on. Remember when they first launched this season and they said basically all trades would have to be from 60-man player pools to 60-man player pools. 
quietly it seemed the adjustment allocation was made for players to be named later, which I think was really important because you have to have some flexibility. There's zero scouting happening of the minor leagues because there are no minor leagues. And so it's a really unprecedented time at a time when young players in the industry are so valuable. So I think it was important to let those GMs have a little flexibility by doing the players to be named later. And I think the other thing too is as the month of August went along, Right around the first part of August, there were the concerns about the Cardinals and how long they had their uh, COVID situation there for a long time with St. Louis. And I think that by the end of the month, there has been this confidence that has coalesced that we are going to finish the season. That, yeah. that It's obviously not been perfect, but it's going to work out that we're going to have a season. And I think that once the GMs had that in the back of their minds, Dan – it gave them the confidence to handle it like a normal trade deadline. And, and I think, uh, really, when you consider how many teams are in contention, especially in the National League, this was about as active of a trade deadline day as you possibly could have imagined. Other trades today, the Padres have acquired Mike Clevenger from the Indians as part of a nine-player swap. I mean, the Padres just blew away the field with what they've done. Uh, they got an ace pitcher. They got a hitter. High fly ball. That one's back there, back there, way, way back. He did it! Mitch Moreland with a walk-off home run into the monster seats. They remade their catching. Uh, They got a great reliever in Trevor Rosenthal. A lot of uh, history, a lot of experience, um, you know, at the back end of bullpens and and closing games. And he's, you know, been having a a great year with uh, Kansas City. We're excited to get his addition uh, to our group. That's the thing with a guy like Rosenthal, you got to gear up for 97, 98, 99. You have to give so much credit to the San Diego Padres. Ron Fowler, Chief Executive Officer, A.J. Preller. You know, they decided in a year when a lot of teams held back the reins that they were going to go for it. You remember Ron Fowler's words last fall, essentially putting everybody in the organization on notice that if 2020 wasn't a better year for the Padres, that everyone is going to be in trouble, including Ron, and they have lived those words this year, even though we had the onset of the pandemic. But I think the team itself has, uh, has shown that, uh, that it's, it's a good ball club. It's a fun team to watch. And, and when we had some trades that lined up with a farm system that was deep uh, and, a, and a young major league team that was deep, uh, I think it enabled us to make some deals that, uh, that we feel like are going to help us here over the course of not just the next couple of weeks, but really the next couple of years. And A.J. Preller led the way. We would be remiss if we didn't start with the San Diego Padres. And I think everybody knew that they were going to be active. They're having a good year. They're young and exciting, and they don't get to the postseason all that often. But you mentioned the Clevenger deal, and that's the blockbuster. I think that's the headliner um, from the 2020 trade deadline. When you started getting the information about what was going on and found out that the Padres, in addition to everybody else they got, that they were going to get Mike Clevenger as well, uh, what came to mind for you? Well, I almost went back to the original offseason when AJ took the job there, when it was Matt Kemp and Kimbrell and Upton, and there was all these different splashy moves. And now it's it's almost that in, in in the inverse, in the middle of a season, all these years into his tenure, and now they are going for it. Have they surpassed the Dodgers? No, not yet in my mind, but they're close. I think they're they're getting a lot closer. And to me, it was surprising and yet not surprising because once we've seen this now multiple times once AJ starts making trades he doesn't really stop I think Joel Schirmer made this point today on MLB Network he just he just keeps going and he did not stop at all until he basically turned over a third of the roster 
of a team that was already pretty good. It was funny. Jeff Breidich, uh, who I was interviewing earlier today, and he made the point about playing a series right now against uh, the Padres as, as the Rockies GM. And he said that basically our pre-scouting meeting today, we had to relearn the whole team almost, it seems like. A third of the roster is different. So it's, it's a fundamentally different team than what they had just two days ago. So I credit AJ for being opportunistic. Clevenger, of course, we know the situation with breaking the COVID protocol. The reality is, and we both heard executives in different sports tell us this, you don't often get a chance to get the elite pitchers, players, unless something is going on, an injury, some sort of discord internally, whatever it might be. And that's the case here. There was clearly a a fracture in the relationship between Clevenger and the Indians. And once that happened, a trade became almost inevitable. And the Padres, I think the really key thing here, Dan, is that they had so many young players and the 40-man roster crunch was coming for them where they had to sort of pare down that list of players or else lose guys in Rule 5 drafts or other transactions because they just simply couldn't protect all their good young players. So today, in this deadline the last couple days really, this was a consequence of a lot of really good decisions they made, a lot lot of really good signings, good recommendations by scouts, and now here they are with a chance to take down the Kings of the National League there uh, for the last decade or so there in the Dodgers. Yeah, they also get Mitch Moreland, they get Austin Nola from Seattle, they get Jason Castro from the Angels. Earlier, they get Trevor Rosenthal from the Royals. And as you said, they're gaining ground on a Dodger team that didn't do anything. And who knows what will happen in October. Uh, Is there a chance in your mind right now that on paper, this is the second best team in the National League? I think it is, Dan. I really do. And again, they've, they've already added uh, with having the, the great group that we haven't even talked about Tatis yet and, and what mm-hmm. an NL MVP frontrunner for them probably. But I think too, just as important as Tatis, maybe not quite as important as Tatis, but up there is, is Machado. Machado has played better. The last couple of weeks, he has been himself. And I really believe as brilliant of a player as Tatis is, if Machado, with everything he represents, the signing that he uh, had there and the money that he makes – He's got to produce, and when he is produced, this team looks almost unstoppable. And I'll make the point, too, uh, certainly right in the middle of this, to the surprise of no one, is a Michigan Wolverine and Jake Cronenworth. Okay, okay. so his <laughs> so his presence, uh, a very versatile player, and actually a junior hockey teammate, true story, of Tyler Mott of the Vancouver Canucks. They're childhood wow. buddies. They're like baseball hockey teammates in, in both sports. Grew up in like the Port Huron area, so just across the bridge from Sarnia. And um, met Jake for the first time in the fall, actually, covering the, the Premier 12, the Olympic qualifying tournament. And Jake was talking a lot about hockey and, and his background in, in that great sport. So it was kind of a cool thing that he and Tyler Mott both doing their thing here at the same time during the Stanley Cup playoffs there for the Canucks and, and now for the Padres. Now, this is why we have you on. Nobody else can give us this kind of <laughs> dual sport information. This is great. Let me explore the, the other side of the trade, because you talked about the fractured relationship with Clevenger, and we all understood there was a good chance that Cleveland was going to try to move them. The Indians are a team that if things go their way, I mean, they could be right there as the last team standing. They have so much pitching, even with the trade of Clevenger. Now, granted, it's not quite as deep without him, but I thought if they were going to trade him, they were going to get back a big-time, first-rate, production-now kind of outfielder because they don't have good production in the outfield. They get uh, Naylor from San Diego. They're going to put him in left. We know he can hit. What did you think of the haul that Cleveland got? There's a lot of quantity there, but I thought there might be one centerpiece to the deal, and I don't feel like they really got that in this trade. I think you're right, and there wasn't a top 20 or 30 prospect in the deal. I had thought that, based on my reporting, what I was told previous to the deadline, that the Indians had talked to the Braves about Drew Waters, 
you know, I think Drew Waters is a top 50 prospect in the game, maybe top 40 or 30, depending on your assessment of him. And I thought he would have been a really nice centerpiece because the Indians, as you know, Dan, have really struggled to produce in their outfield. They, they have gone years. You think back and since Grady Sizemore's peak, how many 30 homer, 150 game, reliable, middle of the order bats have they had as outfielders? Michael Brantley for a while, but they just haven't had very many of those kinds of players for the last decade, really it seems. And so they've really struggled to get consistent, solid outfield production. And, and I thought they had to get someone that was going to be a centerpiece, almost all level outfielder. Now, Josh, of course, for him, it's an opportunity. And we've talked about him a lot over the years, of course, coming from Mississauga, is somebody that uh, has shown a lot of promise with the bat. Thanks very much. This one driven out towards deep right center field, and that ball is gone. Pitch hit home run for Josh Naylor has tied the game on the first pitch from Pedro Strope in the eighth inning. Lefty to the lefty. Deal deals high fly ball. If it's fair, it's gone. Deep, deep right field. That ball is gone. Home run, Josh Naylor. Could you hear it? Could you hear it? My goodness. Hurt the pelota. That ball's got to have a dent in it of some sort. It's not an especially big left field to play in Cleveland, which I think may help him a little bit, but this is now his opportunity. He, he's 23 years old. He's probably kind of starting to come into his prime. This is it now. He's going to get plenty of opportunity for the balance of the year. And so I think from that standpoint, they've had a lot of success in developing young pitchers, of course, and Cal Quantrill coming over, a Canadian as well. Uh, I think that that's a really intriguing part of this deal from Cleveland's perspective because when you consider where their depth chart is, they called up in the last couple of weeks Tristan McKenzie, very highly regarded pitcher, and he's pitched very well. So you've got McKenzie now in the major leagues, and you still didn't even have a spot for Zach Plesak, who, of course, at the same time as Clevenger was sent to the minor leagues because of the COVID protocol violation. And so... It's not exactly this, but if you conceptualize it this way and say, okay, they've already got McKenzie, they can now call up Plesak to replace Clevenger, and they believe they can develop Quantrill, we assume because they're just they're good at that kind of thing. Then they already now are adding in Naylor, some, some other youth that can help them in the next couple of years. Hedges is a very good receiver behind the plate. I get it. I, I, I like you. I, I would have liked to see them get a little bit more value on the top end, like the really key piece. But I, I think that for the circumstances they were in, if they had decided that for whatever internal reasons that they were going to trade him, they did pretty well. And, and I really think they did not irreparably harm at all their chances to make the playoffs this year. In fact, they're still, I think, above a 90% chance to make the playoffs just based on the way the, the American League is going right now and, and the division. So for the Indians, for their financial realities, Dan, I think overall they did a pretty good job at the trade deadline. So San Diego, Cleveland, that's the trade that dominated the headlines, obviously, on trade deadline day. But after the Padres, if I were to say to you what team was the next most active, I think the objective answer is the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, they made five deals in the days leading up to the trade deadline. First of all, getting Daniel Vogel back, then getting Taiwan Walker, who's already given them one really good start. 3-2. Fastball strike three right at the knees. What a way to bounce back. He gets his first strikeout as a Blue Jay. Fell behind 3-0 and then went after him with the hard stuff and got him looking at a 94-mile-an-hour knee-high fastball. The 1-2 swing and a miss. Got him with a good cut fastball. Strikeout number three as a Blue Jay, two away. Ryan Mountcastle, the batter, grounded out twice. Swings at a breaking ball and pops it up. Out to Gritchick, who comes rolling forward. He's underneath it. He makes the catch. And how about that? A one, two, three, sixth inning of work. 
for Taiwan Walker. The returns have been great in your Blue Jay debut. Five shutout frames and adding one more to get through a perfect sixth. And then on trade deadline day, as I'm sitting there doing the Blue Jay game and checking Twitter at the same time and all kinds of stuff is going on. Thank God I like multitasking. They get Robbie Ray from Arizona. They get Jonathan VR from Miami. And then very late, we find out almost an hour after the deadline, they get Ross Stripling from the Dodgers. What was your take on what the Blue Jays have done over the last several days? Impressed, uh, I think, Dan, with just the consistency of, of what they were trying to do. They were not going to change the core of this team or do, make a dramatic move. This was about augmenting a team that is right now on its way to the playoffs. Now, it's a unique year. I get that. But making the playoffs for the Jays in this year has value for a couple reasons. Number one, this is now the start of their window to win. And when the Jays have had success, when other teams in the AL have had success over time, you see it almost happening usually when either the Yankees or the Red Sox are down. And right now, the Yankees, as you know, are basically barely ahead of the Blue Jays in the standings. And the Astros are, are down. They're not the same team they were last year. The Red Sox are rebuilding. This is a wide-open American League. And so you get Bichette back, and, and you add some pitching. Hey, take your chances. This is a year where you can upset somebody, and, and Ryu has a good start, and, and now you've got some more firepower in the rotation. Robbie Ray, if he's locating the ball, is, is really good. So you've you got some things to dream on. Now, are you going to enter the playoffs as the favorite? No. But at the very least – you're giving your young core a chance to get some experience in the playoffs. You're bringing in a guy in Stripling who is so well-respected, cerebral, excellent pitcher. Uh, it was really, I think, a beloved teammate with the Dodgers for a very, very long time. It's a nice set of decisions to bring in some people to really augment what they've got. And I agree, Walker was great in his first start. There's a lot to like there. And, and so for the Jays to really, I think, hone in on getting that, that playoff berth, it's, it's sort of the, the wide-open nature of the AL and then the almost developmental reason to get this young core to the playoffs now, where maybe you think 2021 or 22 may be a better chance to, to win the whole thing, but there's value in getting there now and building off of that experience. And, and this is a team that sometimes we've seen it before, and whether it's baseball or hockey, when teams arrive ahead of schedule, they can do damage. And mm -hmm. the, the Jays will enter the playoffs, Dan, uh, so, assuming they hold off the Tigers and we don't have a remix of 1987 again. But, <laughs> but uh, assuming they get there, they'll, they'll be a dangerous team to play, I believe, in the month of October. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think there's great value for this young core to make the playoffs this year. I really like the Jonathan VR pickup. I think he does a lot of different things that helps the team. The Robbie Ray one is the one that's interesting to me. I referred to him on the air while I was calling the game and talking about the trade. He's got a very high ceiling, but right now he's got kind of a low floor because of these command problems. Like there are some other guys you kind of know what you're going to get. There are fourth and fifth starters out there you can go pick up and they, you know, they help you in the back end of the rotation. Robbie Ray, if he can find it again, two, three years ago, he was one of the best left-handed starters in baseball, but now he's walked 31 in 31 innings this year. What do you hear from folks in Arizona about what was going on with Robbie Ray this year? Well, it's really, uh, I think, difficult to really kind of conceptualize and even understand what, what's, what's transpired for him because he came into camp in great shape, but just has not been able to locate the ball. Now, he's had this issue before where command has been a problem. Uh, and we've seen certainly Trevor Rosenthal going back. We talked about him with the, with the Padres, and you know he's had issues locating the ball, and now he's back in the zone again. And it can come and go, and, and sometimes it never comes back, as, as, as we well know. So I think it's now up to Robbie just to 
uh, maybe get with Pete Walker and just have a lot of uh, workshops there and just on kind of how the ball is coming out of his hand. And, and Dan, we both know that sometimes it's the simplest thing, changes mm-hmm. scenery. Maybe he was having some pressure as it related to being a free agent to come this, this winter. But sometimes a, a change of scenery in that respect can be great. Now, we know, obviously, it's not the easiest place to pitch in the world there in Buffalo. That, that, that may be a bit of a challenge. Now, now, how many games are still left there in Buffalo during the course of the season and, and where his starts line up, who knows. But I, I think ideally with Robbie Ray, you have him pitch in, in larger ballparks with a good defensive club behind him and say, listen, just, just throw the ball over the plate. We, we've got your back in that respect. And if he gets that confidence and comfort going, he can be a dynamic starter. So I, you're right. It's, I think in many ways it's a nice high – some high risk, but it's certainly high reward play – and if you pair him up, when you think about the, the, the versatility now of the expanded rosters, maybe you pair him up with Stripling, and they become like a piggyback start. And they're very different pitchers, lefty-righty, one with huge stuff, and Ross certainly has great stuff as well, but, but is really outstanding command guy. Maybe you kind of pair them up together, and whether they pitch on consecutive days or in the same game, you can get creative. And, and I, I think that right now, the Jays now just have more options. VR also, to your point, gives them options. Great base runner. He can play around the field a little bit. Uh, when Bichette comes back, you got versatility there. So it's, it's, I think it's just it's a nice club that now Charlie Montoya has some more pieces there to work with. And I expect to see the Blue Jays playing in October. JP, of the teams, of the good teams that didn't do anything or didn't do much, so that would encompass the Yankees, the Braves got Tommy Malone, but they didn't make a big splash. The Twins, the Dodgers didn't do anything other than the Stripling deal going to Toronto. So of the good teams who didn't add a whole lot, which one surprised you the most? I think Atlanta, uh, because we've seen Alex work before. and We know that Alex likes to make trades. I, I was thinking that it was going to be like David Price all over again, that he'd be making some trade for Clevenger at like 4 in the morning or 5 in the morning as the sun's coming up. But uh didn't happen, of course. And the Braves, to me... Dan, you know, they've got three young starters, uh, Newcomb, Wright, and Toussaint, who have struggled so much here this season, where they're now back to the alternate training site. So their overall prospect value for that group has diminished at a time when they were, frankly, supposed to be contributing to the Major League Club. So that was like a double whammy. Not only do your prospects not have the value that they used to have, they're supposed to be helping your team right now. And so what do you do? We know that they were obviously talking with the Indians about Clevenger, didn't work out. Uh, but I, I thought they were going to get somebody, whether it was Lynn, Dylan Bundy. I kind of thought he was going to get moved uh, at the deadline. That didn't happen. Um, maybe some of the young guys there with Pittsburgh, Cool or Trevor Williams, they didn't get moved either. Uh, so I, I, I thought that those possibilities were, were out there for Alex. And I just think that given all we know about him and how he likes to make trades and have a lot of different conversations, I was just a little surprised that they, they didn't make that move, especially in a very winnable division there in the National League East. And I think on the AL side – I would have wanted to see a little more activity from the two of those teams there in the Central, the White Sox or the Twins. Uh, the Twins, they, they, of course, they were in there on Stroman last year, didn't get the deal done then either. And, and I think that they, for me, they've got a young outfield in the major leagues there with Rosario and Kepler, Buxton when he's healthy, and they've got two high-level prospects in the outfield in the, in the farm system there, in, uh, in Larnick and Kirilov. And, and I thought that they would have maybe spent one of those two guys to bring back some pitching because, to me, that's what they need. Yes, Maeda's been good for them, but I, I thought a little bit there here in the Central that maybe I would have seen the White Sox or Twins make a bolder move here at the deadline. Nobody wants to give up those top prospects, right? Like nope, even San Diego, I guess they traded eight of their top 30 in all of these deals, but only one came from the top 10. Nobody's given up their best guys right now. And that's a great point, Dan. I think that's just where the industry is right now. There's a lot of caution 
no one wants to make a, a big mistake with that. And certainly, uh, in general, uh, prospects will not make a ton of money for, for a long period of time through their young, healthy years. It's been a, a massive paradigm shift in the industry. And yet, and yet, let's not forget, last year the World Series was won by the oldest team in the game. And as much as we, I, I love deadline day, it's one of my favorite days of the year. But I, I went back and looked at the, the World Series playing record for the, for the Nationals. I think there are five players that they had that they, that they acquired during the course of the season that played for them in the World Series. Only one of them, Hudson, of course, a, a former Blue Jay, was one that they'd got in a trade. There were three guys that were released and then signed by them, including Rodney, Esdrubal Cabrera, and Gerardo Parra, and then Javi Guerra was a waiver claim. So it's not always the splashy deals that lead to a championship. So I, I'm, I'm all on the Padres, and it's great. But we have to remember sometimes that it's the subtle moves like the Marco Scudero years ago for the Giants that actually lead to a championship. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, big picture, in a year that's anything but normal, isn't it fun just to talk about trades and pennant races and baseball and keep our fingers crossed that this keeps going? Yeah, it really is, Dan. And today, you know, felt like a... a it was it was a celebratory day, I think, for the for the industry just to to feel normal again to make trades and obviously not the same level of, of scouting reports and scouts out there seeing. You know, one of my favorite pastimes this time of year is usually where are the scouts, right? So you you go to you know back, back. I was thinking back to my earlier days as a writer for FoxSports.com. Uh, I, I would always joke that working with Ken Rosenthal, Ken would be at the game of the week for Saturday games on Fox, and I would like to say that I would go to the ungame of the week. I would drive <laughs> to the worst game that I could find. Because that's where all the scouts were. So I'd go to the, I'd drive to wherever I could find uh, two bad teams playing, and I'd drive there in, in my in my Subaru there, like in, in two thousand nine, and I'd drive there and just see where who what scouts were where, and that would because those guys would tell me who they were scouting just based on their position. Now they would tell me all the information, but just whoever was there, they would say, okay, this team is scouting this player. Okay, now I know. And uh, so, yeah, I used to drive to the ungame of the week and scout the scouts, as they say, and couldn't do it this year. But just to be able to talk about it, Dan, today is, is really, really cool. So thanks for thanks for the conversation. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I, I love how much you love baseball. It comes across in everything that you do. And I really appreciate your time, JP. Stay safe. Travel safe if you start traveling again towards the end of the year or into the playoffs. And, and hopefully we'll cross paths at some point somewhere soon. I can't wait, Dan. It's going to be a great conversation whenever we get together again in person. And certainly, I've got that Nexus Pass in my wallet, and I just it's <laughs> it's screaming to be used to get to get over the border in Windsor. So one of these one of these times, I'll do it. And I'll I'll take the Via or I'll, I'll Porter or whatever, however, and get up there and, <laughs> and and see all you guys in Toronto again. Well, I think I can say I know a few people who love baseball as much as J.P. Morosi, but I don't know that I know anybody who loves it more than him. It is his passion. You can hear it in his voice, how excited he is talking about every single aspect of the game. And I feel just like he feels. It was fun, and it made it feel somewhat normal just to have a trade deadline and to see actual trades made and teams planning for a pennant race that probably most of us thought would never materialize this year. The San Diego Padres, definitely the headliners, but the Toronto Blue Jays, the second most active team at the trade deadline. will be interesting to see how their moves pan out and how the pennant races pan out. It's September. It's time to talk pennant races, and that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. This episode of A Swing and a Belt was produced by Amal Delich. I'm Dan Schulman, inviting you to join us whenever you can. Leave us a review or a like or subscribe. Tell your friends. We're glad to have you along with us whenever time allows. We'll see you next time.